On February 2nd, 2019, 18-year-old uh, Yahim Harris was shot four times in the chest by Wilmington, Delaware Police Department. Yahim spent the next 13 days slipping in and out of consciousness before being released from the hospital and placed in his mother's care. Even though Yahim is still recovering from his wounds and attempting to finish his senior year of high school, the government revoked his bail on May 21st due to a technicality. He is now being held under the weight of $136,000 cash bail. The defense's motions to have his original bail reinstated have been denied multiple times. Most recently, on Monday, December 16th, the state is throwing the book at Yahim uh, in order to justify shooting him. Um, yeah, we went out there today. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So we're going to talk about this more. But uh... Hello, comrades and friends. Uh, we're back here uh, at the Highlands Bunker. We're in the Shadow Rockford Tower. We're behind enemy lines in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. We're always watching. We're always scheming. And uh, we, we know who you are. Um, in the bunker tonight. Oh, first I should say Happy New Year, everybody, because when this comes out, it will be the new year. So uh, we got a year under our belt, and we're just getting warmed up. Trust me. I feel like Trump. Do the Trump thing now. Like, trust me. More and more people are saying it. Um, we have a uh, we have another nice uh, crowd uh, here in the bunker this evening. We've got Carl on the uh, on the ones and twos, and uh, joining me is the Network Delaware. Uh, community organizer for Route 9 Carter uh, from Southbridge to Old Newcastle. Um, he started um, around, I guess you started with Shanae, right? Is that around the same time? I actually started in 2018. Okay, so you started last yeah, year I started before. last year uh, through the Ella Baker uh, Josephine Black Organizers Program. Oh, it's like a fellowship thing. Yeah, it's like a fellowship where they train uh, black people people who are interested in advocating and organizing around issues centered uh, in the state of Delaware that affect them, their family members, um, and their community. Well, this is, uh, I should get to it, Brandon Fletcher. Yes, I'm really glad to be here with you today. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming in. Well, we always start at the beginning on stuff like this. So uh, where do you come from? Where did you grow up? Sort of how did you grow up? And is there a is there a path to sort of like um, community work and justice work and political work that you took? Or was it something that you came up on later in your life? Like, how did that work? Uh, well, to start, I actually didn't know what community organizing was um, until I became a community organizer. And even then, I still didn't know what I was doing. Um, but just to start, we can get into that later. But uh, I, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I'm not from Delaware. Um, in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, a tight-knit neighborhood uh, with black people, Latino people, um, and just growing up in a time where I saw gentrification and I saw the displacement of a lot of people um, in my original neighborhood, uh, it was really the driving force behind why I had to come to Delaware in the first place. My parents couldn't afford to live in New York anymore, and so... We packed up our things, we got a loan from our grandparents, and we moved to Delaware. Um, and that's when I started to get into activism in a sense, because in New York, I didn't really understand the impact of gentrification until I moved to Delaware and 
looked back and was like, we got forced out of our homes and we had to move to a completely different state where uh, we didn't know anyone. We didn't have any family, but we knew that we had an opportunity to come somewhere that was less, uh, that was more affordable, had slightly better schools. Um, How old were you at this point? I was, I was actually 12 years old. 12. Any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a sister, no, Brianna. She, yeah, yeah. Brianna's she, here. I, I just, I'm in the zone. I'm talking. I'm like, oh yeah, you yeah. just introduced me to your sister. Um, yeah. So I have a sister, Brianna. I have an older brother who's actually back in New York now. Um, and we came to Delaware, trying to seek out a better life. Um, my mom, she has to work multiple jobs still um, to afford to live, which is. It's hard to see that. Um, and my dad, he's been in and out of the criminal justice system and seeing um, the disparities within that, I guess, really get, drove me into activism in a sense. Just seeing the fact that my parents have to work so hard um, and that people like my father have been in the criminal justice system unfairly is what I would say my call to action is. Nice. Were you, how, how did you get tied into, uh, or who did you meet to get into the net, to network Delaware mm. specific, specifically? Yeah. So it actually started my senior year of high school. I went to a city council, a county council meeting in uh, the county council building in Wilmington. Uh, it was actually a part of an assignment that I had to do for history class. And when I went, I just sat and I listened and they were talking about uh, some bill, and I didn't agree with what they were saying, and I didn't even know who was representing me at that point. And I just got up and spoke about the injustices in the community, about how the politicians in that chamber are just so out of touch from the everyday people in Newcastle, Delaware. Um, and I actually bumped into two people who were in Network Delaware, and they were really excited that this was my first time coming to a county council meeting um, and that I gave public comment. And then after that, I they invited me to a Network Delaware meeting and then I just got plugged in and now I'm an organizer. So. Nice. We, it's, uh, the reason I'm so interested in that is because one of the things we talk about here a lot, you know, I sort of got my uh, foot in the door about like sort of doing it part-time or however whatever it is that i do um sort of through drew and the eugene thing and so i was there sort of when the network got stood up and one of the things we always say about drew and like the, the folks there is like if, if you show um sort of some sort of um if you're drawn to it and you're you're excited to do it and you make public comment or it's something that you know you have some sort of ambition to help they will find you. <laughs> they will tell you what to do. You know, that's exactly like, what they did. Yeah, actually. they're like, oh, okay, this is where you live. This is the kind of stuff that's going on. They can kind of they know how to direct the energy because, like, I have a lot of energy, but like, I don't direct it well. And Drew and his folks there are are excellent at doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say, the Network Delaware as a whole does a really good job at just finding regular people with regular stories and empowering them to. Uh, develop as a leader and activate change in their own community. Something they do really well. Um, and now as an organizer with Network Delaware, uh, one of the, the groups that we have is an action team in Newcastle. And we focus on 
building power, people power in Newcastle, Delaware, so that people are civically engaged who might not necessarily have been. They're responding to policy alerts and civic action alerts. Um, and they're just in a place where they can share their stories and they're able to see how through sharing their stories, they actually can be an organizer themselves when you talk to your neighbor about something that's common that you see. You're talking to leaders as well who come to these action team meetings. So, Yeah, it's so much... Um... There's so much going on that's really exciting in the the Route Nine corridor. I, I left the parlance of it, but I saw it. Um, I saw it written somewhere as you know Southbridge to Old Newcastle, and it was a kind of a good way to put it. You sort of, I was in Old Newcastle last night, so it's easy. It's easy to sort of think about like that densely sort of populated um, area, and there's so much happening there. It's so cool. Uh, so the last episode that will have aired by the time this comes out. <laughs> We talked to a, a bunch of organizers about their work, <clears throat> but I started it by talking about uh, the Del One Credit Union mm -hmm. coming to Southbridge, and so I read some of the article, and I wanted to highlight uh, Larry Lambert because he's great. Um, so when you think about how that neighborhood didn't have a bank, you know, just had check cashing and sort of predatory kind of things, um, and it came out of, you know, sort of going to those meetings at the Y and like talking about neighborhood issues. And they decided to start a group to sort of campaign for some sort of banking. And that's how it all happened, just based on that program that and, and uh, Yakim Muhammad was at the uh, rally today that, you know, just getting people active and talking and out of that through ambitious, you know, hardworking people. You know, you just got you accomplish something really, really big. There's a lot of stuff going on in that area. Like, what do you, what do you, what, what kind of stuff are you uh, working on currently? So, I was just going to talk about. I'll tell you in a second, but just just to add on to the credit union. Not only is it that the Route Nine corridor of Newcastle is a banking desert, but the fact that they have Del uh, Del One Federal Credit Union coming in and providing a bank in Rose Hill Community Center. They're also going to hire two students from the high school I went to, William Penn High School. Uh, to work in the bank so they're they have a job they have job experience people who may not necessarily want to go off to college but want to just jump right into the workforce uh, that go through the accounting track program at the high school are offered first positions at the credit union so it's not only about providing the financial services in the community but the people working there are also a part of the community um, but one of the things that I've been working on in the community and some of the local schools around there is voter registration. It is so important. So a group of students from the high school and I got together and we said we want to organize and operate voter registration drives in the high school, outside of the high school, at grocery stores uh, to dismantle voter suppression and get people registered, particularly young people of color, uh, because so often People of color and young people feel like politics isn't something for them. They feel like I don't understand or I'm just going to let it happen to me instead of me joining in it and actually actively participating in it. Um, and through that, the students were able to not only operate their own voter registration drives, register their peers, register anyone who they knew in the community who was 18 and older who could who uh, was eligible to be registered to vote. And they're also uh, plugging in people who 
are undocumented citizens who don't have the eligibility to register to vote to also join the movement and getting other people registered to vote. So either way, the entire process of voter registration, uh, we believe is going to be impactful in the community. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because just in the last couple of days, uh, I heard, and I don't know where I heard this. Oh, I do. Uh, Michael Moore was was speaking somewhere about one of the films that he had made and talking about the countries that have uh, voter registration at 16, not 18. And I've he I heard this argument made um, in Britain over the last year or two, and I know they do it in Austria uh, and a few other places. But I've never, he, the way it was explained makes perfect sense, and I had never heard the explanation before, but they do it as a school program so that you sort of understand what you're doing and it's guided through the school, sort of like driver's ed. Like it might not make sense that like your 15-year-old or 16-year-old with their learner's permit let them drive, but when you, when you, when you um, formalize it through school education and you do it as a, you know, somebody sort of with you, mentoring you and teaching you, and then you learn it at 16 or 17 in school, you're more apt to feel comfortable doing it. But what they do is they wait until high school people are out of high school now and register to vote. And a lot of them will have lost. It's sort of the, the responsibility is more on them. Nobody's guiding them to sort of, as you say, um, organize them, have them understand what's going on in their community to be able to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to exercise this right that I didn't really understand how I could do it. Um, yeah, it's really profound. That is exactly what is needed, I feel like, everywhere in the United States of America, because all like the history I learned in high school, yeah, it's traditional American history. We learn the Civil War, we learn about slavery, we learn about this, that, and the third. But that's it. And for the majority of students who leave that high school, that's the only history they know. And so they don't know about civic engagement. They don't know who their legislator is, who their city council person is. They don't know none of that. And that is what. I guess, continues the work of the people who fought so hard during those times and who put their lives on the line for us to even be where we are to follow through. I, I mean, I just feel like every single student graduating high school should know who their state rep is, who their state senator is, um, and contacting them. Yeah, they used to, they used to have as part of the curriculum, not just world history and American history and, well, you know, maybe some classics or something, but just like civics, which would be sort of like that. But that's sort of been phased out for other curriculum. And, of course, I am often accused of being rather cynical about things. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but, again, I think a lot of that is maybe not by uh, explicit design, but certainly implicitly done so that people are uh, sort of dis disengaged. Like, the, the, they're not going to put in the curriculum something that's going to help working people organize. No. That's not going to go. That doesn't make that's Somehow that doesn't find its, it's way gonna into the curriculum. It's going to disrupt the system. That's what it's going to do. Correct. There's no, mm -hmm. yes. It, it's, it's too, uh, as Chris Coons would say, it's too divisive. Um, well, you know, I won't comment on Chris. Cohen, feel but. free. I mean, you know, you know, you know our feelings here are, are well known. Um, yeah, but a lot of that stuff, a, a lot of the things that you guys are out in the street doing are things that are what I would consider sort of purposely ignored 
by the regular structures because those structures are threatened by that. They're threatened by people doing community organizing. They're threatened by a lot of people voting. Um, they're threatened by people even understanding what's happening. You know, and so that's that's what you're up against. That's why you guys are heroes because you're fighting the biggest thing that there is. You know, the the the, the foundational structure of the of the state. You know, they don't want people organized. No, they don't. And if you look at, I mean, if you look at history and you think about the Black Panther movement and you think about all of these revolutionaries who took to the streets and organized their communities, most of them got killed. Most of them got killed by the federal government, the FBI, because they were disrupting the system. And so I know, uh, who knows, maybe I might get killed doing this work, might not. We're in Delaware. But... um. It's just important that people understand that this isn't something that you can just sit on the side and just let happen. You have to join the movement. You have to take to the streets and you have to protest. You have to rally. You have to demand something. Black people are the most loyal Democratic voters. We will vote for every single Democrat on the line. But when it comes to demanding something, whoa. We're told to sit back or just wait a while or let them fix what they got to fix. No, they're not going to fix shit. They're not going to do anything. And so until we demand uh, what we want and what we deserve, since we've been here for 400 plus years, um, I think that it's <laughs> young people are just going to start to not really care. People aren't going to care. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest that malaise or that sort of disengagement or, or indifference is, you know, that's that's the biggest sort of emotional thing you got to fight all the time, whether you're engaged in it uh, as work, as you are, or sort of we are, um, or just like trying to stay up to date to, you know, come to a rally or do phone banking, you know, you get discouraged. It's extremely discouraging, especially when, as we've said before, you take a lot of L's. Um, but as you said, there's really no other way. Um, you're going to continue to be just oppressed and 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 disenfranchised, and capital is just going to run us over. Yeah, so and it's kind of I mean, and I do understand for some for some people of color uh, because you also have to understand that we are operating in an oppressed system. So if someone's working two and three jobs, um, and they're working a shift from 7 a.m. in the morning to 11 p.m. at night. They aren't going to necessarily have the time to go out in the streets, and that's understandable. But I just feel like they did it in the past, and they said, we don't care. We're going to boycott. We're going to march. We're going to demand something, and that's how we got stuff. Um, and I'm, I try so hard in my organizing work to get people to realize that, that you have to really want it if not then they're going to continue to step over you they're going to continue to cater to their corporate and special interests um, and eventually we're just going to be gone because the system is breaking our people apart yeah but uh, well speaking of showing up let's get back to this rally we were at today uh we uh and it's and it's interesting because i i I think I'm going to read these uh, sort of demands as well, uh, because not only did you uh, sort of read what happened, I want to go through some of the 
the details that weren't on the flyer and, and list some of the demands. So, um, yeah, him Harris was uh, in a stolen car with a with another kid, like a fourteen year old kid, right? And so, and correct me if I get any of these details wrong, or if, you, if, if, if they're unknown and I'm making them up. <clears throat> they jump out of the car. Cops chase them half a block or something. Uh, I guess a, sort of a scuffle ensues, and he's going to sort of give up. <clears throat> and in that process, he gets shot in the chest through the, through the armpit, armpit and from the side and the back, <clears throat> and, and he's unarmed. <clears throat> so that obviously already looks pretty bad. <clears throat> well, as they search the street, they go back to where the car was, and they search around there, and there's a, there's a loaded gun under one of the cars. Okay. Maybe somebody ditched it. Now, when they study the gun, they know that it's not his. N- neither him nor the other kid uh, had touched the gun. There was DNA or fingerprints or whatever, so it wasn't even just some random, maybe somebody else threw it. Who knows? So they shoot an unarmed kid. Uh, he, he, find, he he lives, he gets out, uh, and now he's busted back on some sort of violation, bail violation, or, or, or probation, parole, whatever it is, violation, because of somebody that was in the house with him. I guess he wasn't supposed to be, as part of his release, wasn't supposed to be with somebody, and somebody did something, some bullshit. They call it technicality. I don't even know what it is. I don't really care, because it doesn't matter to me what it is. Um, maybe you know. Um and so now he's back on that violation for like 135 grand and he can't get out. So he can't, he, he, you know, he hasn't been to school. Um, you know, he was the one that was nearly killed while he was unarmed. And now he's sitting uh, in jail awaiting trial. And, and, and the cop has been cleared by an internal report. I mean, think about that. The, the, the kid didn't. It, he he made a move with his outstretched hand. I guess when he's putting his hands up, or maybe he got tackled. I don't know what the situation was. The fact of the matter is, these cops are out of control. And so I was so glad to see everybody turn up today. You know, um, maybe fifty, uh, but we got a lot of. I say a lot, but you know, there was some media coverage. News Journal covered it. WDEL regional abc television um so that that was that was great mm-hmm. to see. i just feel like when it comes to like police in our community and the over policing of our communities people forget about the human aspect of it this was a young boy a child this could have been me this could have been my brother my neighbor, my friends, this could have been anyone. But when you are black, you have a target on your back. And it doesn't matter what our parents try to teach us about put your hands up. It doesn't matter what they tell you about how to respect the police officer. It doesn't matter if they tell you keep your hands on the wheel. They will kill you in the street. And he's lucky to be alive. He's lucky to be alive, and I I just want to like, I just my heart goes out to Jonda Brown, his mom. My heart goes out to Don Jonda because she's going through a lot. Um, the fact that her son could have potentially died, and now he's sitting in jail, 
bail $136,000. It's just completely unjust and unfair. Yeah, so the the demands that were... um, the demands that were announced today uh, are four of them. One, the state of Delaware must reinstate uh, Yahim's original bail so that he can go home to his family while he awaits his February 11th trial date. The prosecution must turn over the rest of their discovery to Yahim's defense team immediately. Yeah, there's a video of this that the state has seen that one of the investigators who was there that the family hired, a private investigator from Philadelphia, has seen. And apparently it's... <laughs> It's pretty exculpatory. It's like, yeah, the guy doesn't have a gun, and they just shot him. Mm-hmm. But nobody gets to see that. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, that's how we were trying to release the tapes. Release the tapes. If you don't have nothing to hide, release the tapes. Um, and that's it. Goes into another issue. I think you're gonna hit on body cams, but yeah, um, that's the last. The fourth mm-hmm. one is is that the Wilmington Police Department must begin using body cams. That's a whole other issue we can talk about because there's some backstory there. Absolutely. But the third one's even more interesting to me. Killer cop James McColl, and it says killer cop because although uh, Mr. Harris somehow miraculously is alive to tell the tale, uh, uh, Bam McDoyle uh, over on Lancaster Avenue is not. Now, uh, that guy was in a wheelchair. Uh, He did have a gun on him, but it was in his pants. Uh, But one of the cops that fired that day is, guess who? Same cop. Same fucking guy. Mm-hmm. The so, system uh, protects them. So yeah, I mean, it's the, the excuse is built in. Mm-hmm. Furtive moves. I thought he had. A, I was afraid. Mm-hmm. I felt threatened. Yeah, I mean, what what is that? What is my that life mean? was in danger. Yeah, bullshit. So the last one uh, is the body cams, and the the issue is sort of a bullshit issue because you know they had the money to buy the body cams, but then the. The, the software, the storage, the data storage um, that would make it compliant was expensive, you know, several hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, or two, maybe it was $2 million a year. Uh, so it didn't, it didn't pass. And again, it's just incomprehensible that more people are in the street, really. I mean, an unarmed kid gets shot and we're worried about a few, you know, we can... When, when they wanted to build a basketball arena in Southbridge outside the city limits, all of a sudden it was inside the city limits. That happens. That's, that's a deal that, that, that gets mm-hmm. done. Yeah, and the city council needs to do their job, I think. Um, instead of trying to worry about being reelected or worrying about their own coddled-up position, they need to do their job and pass laws requiring police officers to have body cameras and keep those body cameras on. Because... If that cop would have had body cameras, we would have been able to see exactly what happened. We would be able to see the view from the police officer and how he killed. He was potentially going to kill that young man. Uh, but they don't pass anything. And it's great that the majority of Wilmington City Council is black. But what are you doing? A black face and a white place doesn't do anything unless you're going to actually fight for the people who put you in the position that you're at. And I think... Um, the black establishment in Delaware needs to step aside and they need to understand that there's this new wave of people who are going to come in and are going to start demanding these types of things, body cameras, more justice, everything. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm really disappointed in city council, Wilmington city council. 
Yeah, I I am too. We were talking about that. Um, I think maybe earlier today or yesterday. Um, you know, the, some changes are made, um, and you know, obviously there is going to be sort of like in Dover too. You know, won some elections, but nothing really happened. And I understand that there are structural sort of forces involved. That much is fine, but not even, but sort of falling into the trap. And I'm thinking of one person in particular uh, is very disappointing to me. And, you know, more people are stepping up um, to try to change that. Kobe's stepping up. Sinead's stepping up. So, you know, we're actually planning a a joint canvas. I'm doing field for Kobe Owens' city council campaign. And we're doing a joint canvas with Sinead and Kobe. Their districts are like across the street is his, across the street is hers. And uh, we're going to get them into city council. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's really how it's going to work. That's one thing um, Carl's mentioned um, a few times is there's been insurgent sort of city council moves a lot of places. Chicago has a lot of DSA members now and they as alder as aldermen, alder people, whoever they are. Um, there's a there's a uh, a very uh, outspoken uh, socialist on the Seattle uh, city council, uh, an Indian Indian American woman. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things to be said about that and and in Philadelphia too at the city level. With the, the with Kenny and and Krasner, um, a lot of change can be done, and they just got one of the working families uh, candidates uh, at the in one of the at large seats that were set aside for a another party. So now it's not a Republican; so it's a, a progressive from the Working Families Party. Uh, Kendra, what's your last yeah, name? Yeah, I think it's Kendra Brooks. Kendra Brooks. Yeah, she That's ran right. for city council. Yeah, yeah, so now she's, yeah, um, I got to know her through uh, Vanessa um, Clifford, if you know her from Philly, from the Working Families Philly. You'll meet her, yeah. It's really important, and I urge any regular person, any regular working person to challenge themselves, and if you feel the injustice, you can see it, you can feel it, if you feel it and you see it, run, run for office, because we need you in these positions where the establishment is letting us down. They are going to continue to worry about their own political agendas and they are not going to be about us and for the people. So I just, I urge any person who sees the injustice, um, who feels like because of their current situation that they aren't qualified or they aren't able, that you're more able than anyone who's in that city council body. Regular people need to be in positions of power, and that's how we win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, that's one of sort of those built-in, unspoken rules, and you hear it in the Democratic Party from big wigs. You hear it you know, in the city, all, all these different places. And, and the, the, the waiting your turn thing is only so that you can be indoctrinated into a system that you probably shouldn't be indoctrinated that's into. That's Delaware. Of course. That is Delaware. And the other th- and the you know and, and the other part is just sort of like instilling in the minds of people that these are sort of elites and that they have sort of a special intelligence or a special way of speaking or connections or something that you don't have. Now, one part of that is sort of true. But 
it's not what you think it is. Yeah, they have connections you don't have, and that's really the problem. They don't help them be any smarter or govern any better if they just govern with a particular constituency in mind, and you're not in that constituency. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about the people who are standing up and taking on more responsibility, taking on full-time positions, taking on, you know, political candidacies and deciding to run. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. All the way from, you know, from Kobe and Sinead to, to Jess, um, to everybody across the state who's running for state office. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really huge push. I'm super excited about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. We need more Miss Jondas to run for office. Yeah, actually. You see, now, seeing her on city council, that would bring some change. I mean, that yeah. would bring some change. I mean, if there's one thing I like, it's shaking it up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's say, let's spend a little time because it's fun. Because I see you wearing your Medicare for All button. Yeah. And uh, you noticed that uh, you know, the bunker is uh, burned out. Regaled, <laughs> regaled with, with uh, a lot of uh, leftist propaganda, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it is what it is. I like that. Hey, I mean we we stand with Palestinians and we believe Palestinians have human rights. That's great. And call us fucking radical. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so uh nationally, you're uh how do you feel that, that that the story in the community and the work you're doing within the community, grassroots work, mm-hmm. bottom up, is you think people are catching on to the to the to the Bernie thing, to the national thing. I mean, you know, I, I feel like, you know, the bunker is a little bit of a bubble, yeah. you know, and I'm a certain, you know, I'm just a white dude, you know, for, you know, so I, I, I'm, I need to get out sometimes too and figure out on the street, like are regular people feeling it. Cause I feel like they're feeling it, but I'm never sure. <laughs> yeah. So there's two parts to it from, I guess, from my perspective in the black community, um, you Bernie Sanders' campaign changed my life. And I mean that wholeheartedly. The, the political revolution changed my life. Hearing someone like him who's fought his entire life on the right side of history for working class people, for people of color, for minorities, everyone who feels left out by the system, it took me to a place that I didn't even no politics was i didn't even think it was a thing that someone like him could be in positions of power and fight for us i didn't it was just it, it seemed unreal um and i think it was one of the biggest inspirations for me past 2016 of to continue this work of organizing in the community and fighting for grassroots change and uh to have people become activated in their own communities it was bernie sanders um his platform speaks to my heart it speaks to the server at the restaurant I wait tables at. It's hard. Uh, it speaks to my mom. It speaks to my sister. It speaks to my family. The fact that he's called for a Medicare for all, meaning everyone deserves health care as a human right, when my mother's sick and she's having a flu and she's coughing, and she tells me that, I can't afford to go to MedExpress because the copayment is going to be $100. And then the prescription pill 
that they're going to give me is going to be 25, which doesn't sound like a lot for some people. But when you're working two jobs and you have to decide between paying your rent or your electric bill and the groceries, that's like that's like life or death for some people. And just knowing that Bernie fought his entire life for a universal health care system is the reason why uh, I believe so many people who are in the same situation as me in the community are going to continue to fight and advocate for a political revolution as a whole, a mass mobilization of working class people. Um, and Bernie is the only one to do that, in my opinion. Now, in the community on the other side, you have a lot of um, older black people who are obsessed with Joe Biden. And it comes from that Obama-Biden coalition, clearly. Um, but when you ask them, what are some of the issues that are impacting you? Um, they talk about their prescriptions, and they talk about Medicare, and they talk about gun violence, and they talk about the need for uh, environmental justice, knowing that it's going to impact us worse. They talk about all that stuff, but they automatically gravitate towards Biden because he was with Obama. But um, to your point, I feel like there's a lot of people, younger people who have been inspired by Bernie Sanders that uh, we are trying to register to vote through the voter registration drive so that their voices are heard at the ballot. So we can tell the older black people that younger black people are beginning to be activated. They're beginning to want to take charge. Um, and it's all because of the fact that he spoke to those issues. It's all because of the fact that he's fought on the right side of history. And um, we're going to continue that work as much as we can, registering young people, our neighbors, getting them plugged into grassroots movements on the ground, um, because that's a part of the revolution. It's from the bottom on up, as you said, not from the top on down. So we're going to continue doing the work uh, through voter reg, civic engagement, uh, policy, and civic action alerts for regular people, um, and hope that can be reflected in the ballot in 2020. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I mean that's a similar. We had uh, we had Alex Rojas on, executive director of Justice Democrats. We know her a little bit through Kerry's campaign, and one of the things that I talked about with her when she was on was there's a there's a section in Ryan Grimm's book uh, we've got people that kind of traces the Democratic Party's decline really um, from a sort of trade unionist People's Party to a corporate neoliberal party. So it starts with Jesse Jackson, basically, and goes right on through. Um, there's a section on Justice Democrats, um, an AOC, uh, but it talks about Alex Rojas herself and her sort of conversion. She was getting more involved in student politics um, at the beginning of her college career, but not until she saw Bernie speak that she put it together. He gave, I guess it was his, I think it, it was his kickoff. Sense. I think it, it was his sense. kickoff uh, on the East Coast. She watched it on television with somebody and just said, it all can't, it just all comes together. Because you, when you realize people who are sort of um, disconnected from it or very cynical about it uh, or have sort of dropped out from it, the reasons that they have when you talk to them are reasons that people like us understand. Like, 
yeah, you're working two jobs and you're barely scraping by and you're the one who's getting hit with, you know, an extra tax here or the school's not that great or this. You know, you're everything's on your back. Yes, we agree. There's a reason for that, actually. Um, this is the reason you tell them. And the prescription is universal plans, Green New Deal, jobs guarantee, housing guarantee in the Green New Deal, student debt. You shouldn't have had to take that student debt. And yeah, I think people, it's, it's a pretty simple message because it does hit those people exactly where they, they need to be. You're like, oh yeah, the things that you don't like about, I use Hillary Clinton as an example, just because it's so glaring. <laughs> but when you say, well, I don't like this, like, you know, everything's corporate, everything's bullshit, the two things are the same. You know, you heard that since I've been a little kid. You know, Bill Clinton, they were probably right. Uh, but all the way through my whole, you know, uh, adulthood voting was, well, they're both really just two corporate parties. Um, some prescribe some different things, but that's it. And you look at somebody, you're like, yes, that's right. And that this is why we're making this point, because it's different. Right. So for all of those people that feel that way, we don't have to argue with them about that because that, what they're feeling is exactly genuine. And we have, a, we have a prescription for yeah, that. Yeah, and for, I guess for Alex Rojas, her transformation happens to a lot of Bernie people who um, are so caught up in the struggle and are so caught up in working the two jobs and waiting tables while in college, while trying to afford uh, to put gas in your car and help your parents pay the bills. Bernie, when he says we're going to cancel student debt, when he says you're going to get health care as a human right, the fact that he's running for president makes you say everything that this man is fighting for is for me, is for my neighbors, is for people who I love. And I can't just sit aside. I have to join. And his, uh, his, it's not just about the plans, Medicare for All, Green New Deal, tuition-free public college. It's the fact that who is he mobilizing when he's talking about this? He's not talking to wealthy, well-connected people. He's not talking to people who just want to look good or look like a, a token person who's doing something right because it sounds good. He's talking to people who are in it. And he's energizing those people to get into the fight and to volunteer in his campaign and to uh, go to your first city council meeting and demand more and go to... Uh, these places where you feel like you've been let down and demand more. It's just, it's amazing. And the fact that we're living in this time that we have someone like this fighting for us, um, I I just vote for Bernie Sanders. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, I Whoever think is out there listening to this, vote for Bernie Sanders, period. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're, we're a Bernie bunker. We've been very clear about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I? I, there's no, no question. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think what people don't, uh, the, the argument I get against the Bernie program a lot is just the, the free stuff argument. And I think people don't, that's such a, such, such an insult, you know, and student, student debt and, and college are the biggest one to me because around the time I went to school, the, the. Tuitions were first starting to like get a little bit like, well, that's seems like a lot. 
Now, I went to the University of Delaware in state, so it was still, and I didn't, of course, I was privileged. I didn't pay. My dad paid. Um, but, but in the last 20, 25 years, it's, it's obscene. It's an obscene amount of money. It's crazy. And, and you talk to people who went to school, they're like, well, I worked my way through school waiting tables. The fucking tuition was $3,000. Fuck you. You know, the, the books were a couple hundred dollars or whatever. You know, or maybe it was, you know, whatever these prices that these people paid, you're like, what, what, what world are you living in? That's, that, that world is long gone. We're talking about tens of thousands of dollars just to start. So, yeah, I think people have a real, they're very disconnected from the material conditions of most people. And you have to kind of like explain to them like, yeah, these aren't like nice to haves. This is the stuff that we need to have to to like yeah, keep going. Exactly, and you know I, I um, I did I, I when speaking to some people about this, like I'll share my opinions on different policies with people who don't agree with me, and I'll tell them about my things, and they're like, "Well, Brandon, that's socialism." And I'm like, "You say it like it's a bad thing." Yeah, of course. You that's say, what I say it like it's a bad thing like, because yes, in the wealthiest country in the in global history. When you have three people owning more wealth than the bottom 99%, that's that's an issue. That's an issue when people can't afford their prescription pills, but you have people paying $0 in federal income taxes. That's an issue when you have a mother who can't afford to send her, her kid to a quality child care center. It's just, if you think that's socialism, then I guess socialism is needed. Because the fact that people can't afford their college, people can't afford their medical um, health care, people can't afford uh, to live, really. It's just expensive. It's very expensive to be poor. Yeah, and Nathan Robinson has a book out, Why You Should Be a Socialist. That's why he came on the, the podcast. And, you know, he looks at it like that. It's like, you know, if you can look at something like, you know, somebody going on GoFundMe for their medical bills... Or you look at um, homelessness. I had I had uh, J.C. Livingston in here uh, last week or earlier this week, uh, and you just talk about homelessness. It comes back to what you said before about like humanity, right? You can look at all of these issues and think, well, these are problems. We should try to solve, or at least like mitigate them, or hide them, or manage them in some way. Like it's a problem to be managed, when really it's an issue of humanity. You got to look at those people like people. And if, and if, but people don't want to do that because then we have to take responsibility for that. Like when it's just a problem, if it, if it gets a little better, if it gets a little worse, it's not so good. If you can kind of manage it in a certain way or kind of juke the stats or do something, but that's not what this, like, that's not what homelessness is. That's not what medical care is for people here. You know, this is, it's about humanity. And, you know, when you look at the world like that, you know, should, should this economy be able to produce, you know, billionaires but not house everybody like is that right it doesn't make sense doesn't make sense and and i don't if you want to call it socialism we call it socialism I, I i sort of feel the way you do yeah i agree like i, I don't know i don't know what's so bad about that you there's know, yeah there's just no reason why we live in like one of the wealthiest nations in the world and we have people living on the streets i was driving here and going down 95 and I saw someone on the corner. It's freezing outside. Why is that person not in a home? 
Why does that person not have, I don't know, why doesn't that person have health care? How do we know? But what, It's just sad that you just have wealthy people in this country who have no compassion about anyone else but their short-term profits um, and selling out people for their own purposes. And it's just sad. And I think that uh, since we're talking about socialism and Bernie Sanders, um, he needs to be elected. And if we as a country move to the center with who we pick and we pick a moderate Democrat, we are going to lose again. That's how Hillary lost. Because there are people sick and tired of the establishment, young people, working class people, we're all tired of politics as usual, and that's not going to win. And I guarantee you, if Joe Biden is the nominee, Trump is going to be the president again. I Yeah, I mean, I was trying I, to I, sort of... People are just going to sit back. I try to put Biden out of my mind, I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Number one, like, I, I was trying to trick myself into thinking, like... Well, maybe he could beat Trump. I don't know. And I just don't think about it. Plus, I've pretty much decided. I haven't pretty much decided. I've absolutely decided. (laughs) That if if Biden's a nominee, I'm not going to vote for Biden. Because in Delaware, it won't matter. Because not only would a a Democrat win Delaware like Hillary did, but Biden's obviously going to win Delaware. I mean, that's... so, So that I can strategically... Do something else or keep leave the line blank. I'm just gonna vote down the line Democrat. Other than Biden. Yeah. He'll, he'll I'll just yeah. vote for state reps, state senate. Oh, yeah, I, I mean at at this point, I believe like you do. Um it's, it's 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 possible. Um see why are you fucking talking? I just lost my train of thought. You're supposed to fucking sit over there. Unbelievable. We have no uh, voting is really important. No, I'm definitely going to vote. Well, I, look, but I, I, f- I think I, sorry, but I no, think local elections are more important than president presidential elections. So I'd be more happy if the first person I register to vote, who's a senior graduating from William Penn High School, chooses that they don't want to vote for Biden, but says I will vote down the line for every other person who aligns with my personal values. Yeah. Um. Then I'm all for it. Vote for vote for your county council person. Vote for your state rep, your state senator. Vote for the senator who aligns with your views. But oh yeah, I mean yeah. I would do that to work. I mean, and I I I I had arguments even after the election because I was trying to talk people into voting for Hillary Clinton just because I thought it was important to go out and make a show of it and be like, yeah, I mean this is we can't have whatever that is. Um, and and people made and a lot of my friends. And people we all know made the decision to vote for Jill Stein or leave the line blank because they knew that Hillary Clinton would carry Delaware, and she, and she did. Yeah. But I think there's going to be less of that. So my fear is sort of what you said is Biden gets the nomination and he wins the popular vote by 8 million votes and loses. Mm-hmm. He'll lose for sure. Because, um, again, like, you know, people aren't going to stay home or fuck around like they fucked around before, especially like in California and New York and those places. So there's a really good chance that, you know, you know, even Hillary won the popular vote by two or three million votes, that the person this time could win the popular vote by seven or eight million votes and lose. Now, that's going to be a f- catastrophe. And I think if you look at the states that Trump won in 2016, that Hillary didn't win 
in the primary election, like Michigan, Wisconsin. Who won the Democratic primary in Michigan, Wisconsin? Could you re- uh, can refresh yeah, my memory? Um, his name was Bernard Sanders. Bernard, come on, somebody. Mm, come on, somebody. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, Bernie Sanders won, I think, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, all of those states. Um, that Trump won in 2016. Want to know why? Because people sat home. People weren't excited about Hillary. And that is what's going to happen in 2020 if Biden is the nominee. Young people who we're trying so hard to empower are going to say, well, since there's no one really talking about the issues that I'm actually going through, since there's no one talking about the fact that my mom is sick, since there's no one talking about the fact that my dad's in jail, they're going to say, well, F it. I'm not going to vote because it isn't going to matter anyways. And we really need to make sure that people understand that it's not just about the word socialism. It's not just about those sound bites that Fox News likes to just play off of. It's about people who are struggling, people who are in pain and they're trying to get by, pay their bills send their kids to college, afford their health care. It's for them. And they're going to realize that a moderate candidate isn't for them. So a let me ask you this to, to, to end it. And maybe maybe we'll, since everybody's so eager to fucking talk, maybe we can have a talk about this, go around the room. Um, <clears throat> you, you sort of brought it up uh, with older black folks and just having that talk, which is, is obviously totally understandable. Um, having a tie to the Democratic Party, number one, and to anybody who's associated with with Obama, which you mentioned. Yes. Now, here, the, the hard truth, in my opinion, and I'm sure you agree, but I'm I'm more not not really asking if you agree. I'm asking you like what the dynamic is with those voters. Like people talk about sort of like older um, black voters in like South Carolina, different even here. In my view, Obama's not not that great. Uh, he's a seminal figure and, and an and a incredible. It was uh, it was uh, you know you can't deny the historical achievement of it, and he certainly you know was you know not a you know not what we have now. It's no nowhere near fascist, um, but some of the same things happened uh, with. At the, you know, with with immigration, with uh, deportations, same thing. Some of the same thing happens with with drones and warfare, um, austerity, um, bailed out the banks, but people still suffered. <clears throat> so that's a that's kind of a dicey sort of topic in it this is. in this context because if it's if if the argument comes down to which, and I think you're probably right. I actually lately think it's going to come down to mm-hmm. Biden Sanders really. Um. Yeah, that's a weird conversation to try to have with somebody. And what is your? Have you had to have some of those conversations? Yes, What's I your have. take on? I've it? had to have these conversations when trying to get my grandparents to move from Biden to Bernie. I've had these conversations with cousins. But here's what I think um, needs to happen. And I get slack from this from older black people. I think. As a community, black people need to have a public shaming of Barack Obama. I think that we need to go out and say that Barack Obama did not do anything for black people. It is okay, in a sense, because 
you can't ignore the historical aspect of it. But what I will say is that Obama being in office was just an illusion for white people to say that racism was over. I don't think that he was in the position to fundamentally change things for us in the way that Bernie Sanders talks about universality, where those are some of the same things that people have been calling in forms of reparations for black people for so long, as in healthcare, free college, all that stuff. Obama couldn't do it. And I think that we need to move on past the aspect that, yes, he was the first African-American president, but he, you don't, you, to put it lightly, you, once, if you go into a position of power in a way, you sort of have to compromise as a black person. When you rise up the ranks, you have to not be as radical to get into the positions that uh, you're trying to go after. So Obama, he went from state senator to senator to president, charismatic black man. But in a way, he had to echo the sentiment of what everyone else was trying to force him to say. So he couldn't call for the things that would fundamentally change our lives. And I think that at this point, with Trump being president now, all bets are off. And we have the opportunity to push for the issues that we know will change our lives and will change the lives of so many other black people. Obama was great as being the first black president, but he could not solve the issues that black people go through on a day-to-day -day basis because of the white power structure. Um, that forces black people to confine. So it's not partially all his fault, um, but I think that we need to say Obama was great as being the first African-American man, but he couldn't do anything for us. We know, and we need to rally behind a candidate who actually can do it and who has privileges to do it as a white man in America. But um, he's fought on the right, Bernie has fought on the right side of history for everyone. Uh, since he was in college, marching with CORE. He's fought on the right side of history. And um, I think that that is what we need. Yeah, think about Obama. Like you said, he went from the state Senate to the U.S. Senate. and But before that, and even before and while he was a, a law professor, he had another job. I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, he was a community, community organizer. organizer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a fall from him to neoliberal centrists from doing what you're doing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, I agree with you, obviously. I, guess, I think, I think <laughs> you know, the, the, the historical context cannot be um, mm -hmm. uh, ignored at all. Um, I think no matter who it is, I mean, again, and Bernie, I, I'm under no sort of uh, illusion that he's going to go in and, and everything's going to change. Oh, no, absolutely he, not. But, but what it's, you know, he's going to run into the same institutional obstacles that Obama ran into and everyone else. But you do have to recognize that as a white person, you do have more leeway when it comes to um, when it comes to passing things, when it comes to introducing bills. Like I think when Obama talked about his universal health care plan back in 2009 when he was president, they completely shut him down. Um, but Bernie has more space as a white person to be able to get some of this stuff done. And yeah, I, I mean, that's obviously true. And it's also true to say that what Obama did after he won was take all of the grassroots, because there was. I mean, I remember I saw him speak in Rodney Square. Um, I was pumped about it. Um, and there was, a, there was a huge grassroots effort. It was sort of the first Internet sort of thing. And there was, it was a big deal.
Yeah. Obama um, was actually. But the then what he did with that with that organizing is um, just absorb it into the Democratic Party and basically just kill it all. What Bernie's going to do is the opposite. That's what people don't understand is like people are rallying now um, to go on his campaign, but he's going to do that for the Green New Deal. He's going to go all over the country and barnstorm for Medicare for all. And we're all going to come out and cheer just as loud as we do when we see him speak somewhere else. Like that's the part people don't get is at the moment of assuming power, the grassroots organizing behind Obama was scuttled. The grassroots organizing behind Sanders will be emboldened to go out and demand that everyone in the institution executes the Bernie program. It's on us still after to do it. So I think that's the difference that people don't get. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, this is, and I'm just going to let your podcast viewers know, this is in no way or form saying that to any black boy or girl that you are not capable of being president of the United States. You can be president of the United States and Obama showed that you can. But the way you do it is different from the way that you might have originally planned on getting in the fight in the first place. You're going to have to change. It's going to force you to they're going to force you to be like them. They're going to force you to say things like them and you're going to have to give up that that what I don't know what to call it, but that energy, that grassroots energy in order to rise up in the ranks and you're going to have to eventually choose what is it that I want? Do I want to continue to do this organizing work and do I want to continue to be in the streets advocating for people which is awesome and amazing and pop my opinion the best thing or do you see yourself rising up the ranks and going from community organizer to state senator to president blah 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 um, I just think you have to make a choice and you can either choose to be by the people or you can choose to do it for yourself um, but I think that it's important that we continue to push for a grassroots movement. I think it's important that we continue to tell people that you are capable of being president of the United States if you stay true to yourself and you continue to advocate. So, Love it. Brandon Fletcher, thanks for coming in, man. Thank you. I'm so happy that I got to be able to talk to you today. I, I'm, I love it. Folks, it's patreon.com slash thehighlandsbunker. It's at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. Here's what we're talking about a little bit. Give you a little clue you in. <clears throat> We've been in contact, as you know, with Nathan J. Robinson, who operates Current Affairs like a, uh, a cooperative uh, media company. And we thought we might be able to do something like that. We know people who do journalism and produce podcasts and write long-form essays. We know people. Carl knows people. See? And so we're going to get those people together in the new year, and uh, we're going we're, we're gonna, to uh, look to start something up. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do it right. Um, there'll be a, a subscription, possibly, uh, for our best work. Uh, we're going to be doing some fundraising. Uh, and crowdsource fundraising to get the website stood up. But it's going to be a fun time. Uh, I think I've decided that anybody uh, 
who is a $10 patron uh, by the end of January might be grandfathered in for some nice, some nice cool stuff when we're like blowing up the internet. So there's going to be more in that to come soon. And won't our haters just really, really hate us then? Oh God, it's going to be so rich. Uh, I'm also going to be cutting a, uh, a brief uh, instructional uh, audio piece about writing letters to uh, Chelsea Manning in jail. I have the address. I have all of the rules that you need to follow. I'm going to write one myself, and I'm going to read it so you guys can sort of understand what we're going to do <coughs> to <coughs> keep up her spirits. Uh, I think we should always... We had Lula, and now we're, we're going to have another political prisoner that we're going to sort of support in some ways and talk about. Um, I hope to have some people in who can sort of talk about sort of that kind of journalism and getting leaks and why that's important. Um, but listen up. Listen for that uh, here coming up, probably uh, maybe attached to this episode or as a bonus episode in the next week or two. So, again, Brandon, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you, Carl, for being you. Thank Thanks, you, Carl. Thank you for coming in. Guy's a patron here. I'm not going to thank you for coming in. You've been nothing but a fucking distraction and a disgraziad. I said it was vote. No, make he sure did people vote. vote. You're right. You're right. All, I, all I said was vote, folks. All right, left is best. Cheers. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs>